X-Ray. It's the Beervana Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. We join you here in the lovely City of Roses, Studio North. Ooh, that's a curveball. <laughs> I always got to mix it up. Uh, I'm Patrick Emerson, Professor of Economics at Oregon State University, sometimes. And with me is Jeff Allworth, author of the fourth, forthcoming Beer Bible Second Edition. Almost out, out this month, September yes. 28th. Yeah, yes, out September 28th, uh, though... If you live in Portland, uh, you can uh, get a you can buy your copy early at the Ooh. release party in uh-huh. Gigantic Brewing on September twenty third. Nice. Yeah. Maybe I'll come to that. You should definitely come to that because we're going to have uh, Ben Love and Van Havoc and me in conversation, and then we'll uh, open it up for questions, and we'll do a book signing. So Opportunity cost is low. It's about a mile from my house. So. That's right. And you don't you're not obligated to buy a book. Uh, well, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> you do. If you get a beer, you will have to pay for that. However, they're they're gonna they're gonna ask you for money. Uh, if I buy a book, will they give me a free beer? Uh, See, so you should have negotiated that. Yeah, <laughs> actually, some of the stops there, those, those, are, those arrangements are, have been made. But oh, not, really? oh, but not this. One. All right. Yeah, then have the cheapskate. What are you gonna do? <laughs> uh, uh, hi, Jeff. So, uh, uh, Studio North is your house. And Studio South would be your house. And the real studio is at X-Ray, which I don't know. I think they're starting to open. So maybe we actually back in the studio at some point. Maybe, although they were talking in the spring about there was a lot of negotiation like, okay, now that COVID's going down, we can open the studio back up. And then I haven't heard that talk in a little while. Yeah. As as COVID is no longer going down. We're getting pretty comfortable this way. And our our little uh, producer, Will Romy, sets us up. Yeah, from afar. So we're we're uh, we're doing pretty good. I think we owe producer Will Romeo a, a, a thank you beer shipment. You know, absolutely. And and uh, because of producer Will Romeo, I tried. I just got back from Maine. Dun dun dun, 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 dun. And I was trying to stop at Oxbow Brewing because I know it's one of Will's faves and mine and yours. And I wanted to go because it's right on the way between Portland, Maine, and. Um, the family place I go to. It's right on the way, but right as we were driving from Portland. We left Portland. It was a beautiful, sunny day. I stopped off at the main beer company, which was awesome and huge and impressive and a lot different than I kind of expected. Uh, and then uh, the heavens opened and literally it was stumping rain so heavy that uh, the interstate almost came to a <laughs> to a halt right about when I was going to go to the Oxbow in uh, Newcastle, I think. Yeah, um, it's one of those twin cities, Newcastle and something else. Uh, and I'm not going to try because I can't remember. But, in, I think it's a Native American. But place. it's just out, it's sort of an outdoor farmy place. And I was like, okay, this isn't going to be good in a downpour. So we ended up not going to Oxbow. So yeah, and just like last time I didn't go to Main Beer Company, this time I did. Next time I'll try to make it a point. Excellent. Yeah, there's a strangle right there at that town. Uh, and so yeah, traffic over can back up like yeah. 700 miles if you're not careful. Yeah. That, that a lot of those old towns, because of all the little like fjord-like inlets, you got to go over a little bridge. Yeah. So <laughs> we went we went to Acadia National Park one day, and, and that was the problem getting home, was one town with a little bridge. We spent about half an hour just waiting to get across the bridge. Uh, it's one but, of those fun activities in the main summer. That's waiting, right. Waiting bike all the way through, all around. So... Uh, fun fact, Acadia National Park has all of these carriage roads that were built by John D. Rockefeller. I've heard of him. Yeah. 
uh, he built a bunch of these roads in the property that he had that he then donated after the roads were built. Because if he donated it first to the National Park Service, they wouldn't have built the roads or something. I don't know. Uh, this according to my tour guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're really cool because they're these gravel roads built for carriages. Now they're just pedestrians, bikes, and horses. And you can zoom all about on bikes all through the park. Was Rockefeller a train guy or an oil guy? Oil guy. Okay. So it's really – it's it's the fact that he would leave roads is uh, somewhat appropriate for vehicles burning his oil. Yes. A hundred years later. Yeah. And I kind of tried to ask that question, but that was not really – sort of ignored. Um, the, uh, the nomenclature carriage road suggests that it was for horses and carriages, but – um, yeah, right. This is right about the time when cars were becoming popular, which were known originally as motor carriages, or at least that was one term. Yeah. That was so I, I suspect that this was a big part of it. They made a big deal about, oh, Rockefeller just wanted people to to be able to experience the peace and tranquility of nature. Like, yeah, sure. Um, so did that. Biked for thirty miles. So I bet you were a little tired after that. Up and down. Acadia National Park's really nice. I did admit to you before we got on air that the problem with being uh, from the Pacific Northwest is that <laughs> nature in other parts of the U.S. often underwhelms. And I love I love the Maine coastline. That's where we have our property, and it's beautiful and gorgeous. And you, you're just you're thinking of it wrong. So the Pacific Northwest is like IPAs, very bold, very strong, <laughs> very true. big. And you know you Maine is much more like subtlety. a It's like a Hellas. Yes, you, you know, have to a, understand and appreciate the subtlety, which I did. It's very nice. Yeah. Um, well, and and in the fall, you do see the the beauty of those forests because there's a lot of deciduous trees and they turn all these beautiful colors. Whereas our own forests are, you know, ninety five percent conifers and they don't really change that true. much. This so. is true. Yeah. The fall in the Northeast is spectacular and yeah. can't be beat. That's true. I absolutely agree with you there. So getting back to the beer, main beer company, I stopped. I bought a whole bunch of beer. So I actually didn't end up drinking that much other main beer because I just love main beer company so much. Yeah. Uh, I bought a big case of, of, uh, of their beer uh, as I went through. Uh, I did stop at Strong Brewing, which is the one closest to my, um, to my property. It's just a couple of miles away. Uh, and it was pretty good. It's a little, it's a little sort of, it looks a little kind of a nano operation, but mm-hmm. it's pretty nice. But Main Beer Company, I was just going to say, uh, I give them a lot of props on this podcast. And I'll take an, one more opportunity. What I think is so impressive about Main Beer Company is that they get all this flavor out of hops, and yet they have this such a subtle touch. Like they create these really crisp, light beers with amazing flavors and a lot of people who try to do that like northwest brewers that try to do like a session ipa they do it pretty well but somehow it never quite i don't know i don't even know how to describe it doesn't quite harmonize perfectly yeah and main beer company just has that magic touch yeah they're really their beer all day long the thing and i wrote about them in the forthcoming beer bible second edition see uh one of the things yes it's beautiful uh one of the things i think they do so well is pale ales yes which are a hard beer style to brew if you're looking for both intensity and balance you know in a modern package which is their pale ales are very modern uh pales they're not yeah yeah my my favorite and the one i ended up buying most of and drinking most of is peeper their pale Ah. and it turns out that was their original recipe they're like original homebrew recipe it was founded on that upon which the company was built which is super impressive yeah like it's it's such an amazing beer uh it's it looks gorgeous tastes gorgeous smells but it's it's light and crisp and yeah. Well, they had a Pilsner, by the way, which was really interesting. And I don't remember, I wish I had written it down. I don't remember the hop they use. 
but it's not one that I think I was familiar with. And it creates for a very interesting flavor profile that's slightly different. You can look it up, maybe. So my favorite, just to throw it in, is a tiny, beautiful something, a different pale. So got a uh, bunch also, of those too. They have they have mo. They have they have their they really they meditate on pales, which you gotta love them. I love those were the two they had when I was there. They had a tiny, tiny beautiful something and peeper, nice. and both were fantastic. Tiny beautiful something was a little more sort of in the modern flavor profile in the sense it's some more citrus. Yeah, I think they have Eldorados, which are some of my faves in, uh, that, in that one. Yeah, so, yeah, both are fantastic. They and that Pilsner was really impressive for a, for a for a company based around pales and IPAs. I the, ales. The the only reason to have multiples of anything is because people have different preferences, and so you know. You're not wrong to like Peeper. You're just different. <laughs> I'm not wrong to like Peeper. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, should we get on with the show? So, today, today's show is a beeronomics show. Excellent. I'm really excited about this one. If you speak to anyone in the service industry these days, the conversation eventually turns to the ongoing worker shortage. Increasingly, people don't want to work at restaurant servers or dishwashers or brewers and keg washers. What's going on? Today we have a special beeronomics edition of the show, wherein Professor Dr. Emerson will give us the scoop. I'm going to start calling you Professor Doctor. <laughs> By the way, that's the term they use in Brazil uh, for you know. You, there's professors, but professor can mean a lot of different things. Uh-huh. And so if you have if you're a if you have a doctorate degree, then they always say Professor Doctor. I see. Uh, which that I thought sense. was hilarious. Yeah, because I, I I was teaching a class at PSU for a while, and and I would be a professor, not doctor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Professor Grunt. Professor Grunt. Or just like dude. Yeah, Professor Dude. You call me Professor Dude. I don't take that. (laughs) Uh, Patrick will give us an overview of, I I kind of wung this too, so we'll see if you actually do this. Yeah, don't oversell me, please. He'll he'll provide an overview of the labor industry, which you actually know a lot about labor. It's your specialty. Well, yeah. So you're... I know know a bit more about labor in in low-income countries, but go ahead. Yes, Yes, I do know about labor. Uh, He'll explain what drives worker shortages and how salaries fit into the equation. Um, All that soon, but first, the news. Somehow September is upon us, and that can only mean one thing. Fresh hop season has arrived. Yay! Yeah. This has been a weird year with the harvest coming early after a heat dome set atop the fields for three days in June. That is the Northwest yeah. hop fields. Still, the crop seems to have rebounded and Northwest breweries are busily making the trek to Yakima and the Willamette Valley for bags of freshly picked cones. The first beers are out now and the season will last well into October. And, Jeff, I bring you fresh hop beers. Excellent. I'm glad that you... Uh, we coordinated and that you pulled this off and that you found them and that they're here in front of us. And, and there were a lot. There's already a lot in the package and in the store. Yeah, this is a, this is a thing that we documented last year, uh, which is atypical before COVID, which is they didn't used to go into package very much. They were usually an all draft thing, but yeah. um, because of COVID and, and here we are looking actually even worse than we were a year ago, go back into the package they go. So quick, uh, quick question about hops. Uh, and smoke should i just open one of these let's yeah so let's uh, we talked about this before the thing we're going to be talking about beeronomics which is boring and so so we thought we'd just interlace some fresh hot beers with the beeronomics since both are fresh ripped straight from the headlines and straight from the hot fields that's right it's very it's, the whole thing is actually uh 
it's a, it's a variety, but it's a coherent variety. Yeah. So I was curious, do you know about uh, smoke, wildfire smoke, and how it affects hop crops? Um, do they have to blow off the ash? If there's, uh, I imagine they have to do that. I, I don't know. Uh, the short answer is I don't know, and I think the um, this year it's not going to be nearly as big of a problem. We got because a huge problem for for wine growers. For wine growers, yeah. that's right. I, I read a fascinating article about that about wine, and I assume it's similar with uh, hops. But um, uh, there there are some techniques that you can use in process to diminish some of the smokiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. Uh, oh yeah! Thank you. Uh, we uh, we when we had that heat dome back in June and it completely dried the forests out to a crisp uh, a month earlier than they would ever have been dried out in a typical year. And then of course dried out catastrophically. I looked forward and thought yeah. that this was going to be the worst fire season ever. And so far, we're not out of it yet, but well, so far it hasn't been nearly as bad as I expected. Uh, yeah. Up in Northern Oregon, but Southern Oregon and especially California, it's been pretty catastrophic. So. Yeah. It's been bad in California, except for the one big fire in Southern Oregon. It has not been nearly as bad as it could have been. Yes. So, not nearly as bad for us as last year. All right, so what are we drinking? We have here uh, an award-winning beer that I've judged in competition, in fact. Uh, Oregon Beer Awards gold medal. Yeah. October Fresh from our friends uh, at Zoigel House. German-style uh, lager. This is a... Uh, Alan Taylor is a, a Northwest guy, and though he is known as a German-trained brewer, and he's known for his lagers and his Berliner Weisse, mm-hmm. he's an American... He's an Oregon kid, born and bred, and he loves his hops. And so he gets an opportunity to uh, put some hops in some of his kind of traditional beers and bring these two traditions together. And he does it so well that he often wins awards. He's won awards for his uh, Kolsch, which he uses fresh hops in too. Ah, Beautiful. This one uh, uses American-grown hollow tower hops, which are called Abiqua. Is that how you pronounce it? I have no idea what you're talking about. Abiqua? What Abiqua the hell? Abiqua in the honor of the Native American name for, of a local river. So Abiqua hops is what. Oh. But apparently that's American version of Polytown. I've so. <laughs> never heard any of that. Mm. So it's an, obviously it's an Oktoberfest fre- fest beer or a fest yep. beer. And uh, it's a beautiful orange, mm-hmm. kind of a, a golden orange. In a classic, I always think of this as the. It's got a crisp lager finish. You know. a, an October sunset. <laughs> I think about the leaves when I look at these. Mm. I think about uh, about fall, the fall colors. It's one of my favorite styles on the planet. I love, love, love this style, and mm-hmm. I, I think I love it in 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 big part because it's so seasonal and it's uh, it's not available year round. So it just it evokes. It's, a, it's got a more poignant evocation of place and time for me. Um, and boy, this, well, as I was pouring it out, it smelled like fall, mm-hmm. looked like fall. Yeah, I do love October, October Fest beers as well, <clears throat> or Fest beers in general. But uh, does this taste like you remember from the judging? Uh, this one is pretty mild. I think, yeah. uh, I think the fresh hoppy character is pretty subdued. My guess is on draft. I was going to say, yeah. On draft, these things are, especially in a beer style like this, where you're working with delicate flavors to begin with. Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to ask because it doesn't. Uh, it's it's wonderful. It's really delightful beer, but it, it's not um, super in your face fresh hop. No, it's uh, the hops are present, but um, there's a characteristic which, when we get to these other ones, I think we can talk a little bit more about the characteristics that define the green hop, the fresh hop. Um, this is more just hop hop. Yeah, I'm kidding. So, uh, 
All right. Well, we'll, we'll circle back around to Fresh Ops, and I'll ask you some more questions about those characteristics. Uh, but let's finish up with the news. We have reached a momentous milestone. Bloomberg News reports, quote, in the four weeks ending August 14th, hard seltzer sales declined 0.04%. Or, I'm sorry, 0.4%. According to financial analyst Vivian Azar, who said uh, that it was the first decline she had ever seen for the category. The, the seltzer slump, which Azar said is more dramatic than she had previously anticipated, prompted her to downgrade Boston beer to underperform. Uh oh. So has it happened? Boston beer's gonna have to come up with something new. And you, sir, you, sir, were the only man on the planet who stood, uh, who stood, right. who stood in the crowd and said, "Seltzer will not last." And now the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Uh, you just said that it would, uh, it, it was, it was going to be a trend that would uh, wax and wane, just like other trends, and you did not anticipate it would continue to grow indefinitely and be a giant thing. Forever. Yeah. Well, this is a blip. We'll see if I'm, if I'm true, if I'm, if my prediction comes to pass in the long run. But yeah, I believe it, and the fundamental reason I believe it is because they're not great drinks. No, they're not. And, and I mean, if you think about what people really like to sit around and drink and enjoy, it's things that have character and flavor and body and you know so good a wine a good beer a good whiskey those kinds of things right like this has none of that this is just a alcohol pop um without sugar basically <laughs> so by the way they seem I, to defy gravity for a lot longer than i would have expected despite really? all that i don't know i don't i, I maybe but bartles and james is around for a while and then zemo's you probably still buy a Zima somewhere, and you know, uh, uh, the uh, the jumping the shark moment for seltzers for me was uh, when I saw that in the little cooler, Bud Light has a blue raspberry flavor. I saw you comment on that on Twitter, and I was going to I was going to say, so you saw an interesting flavor, yeah, blue so, raspberry. So at that moment, I knew it was over. Yeah, that's like a Kool Aid flavor. You, exactly. If you <laughs> selling it with blue raspberry, then you know you know that that the game is up. That people have figured out that these actually suck. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, they're expensive. They really are. And I don't, I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I assume that in order to keep volume up, they're going to start dropping prices probably, and then. So that might have a big impact. Yeah. Because I would that's just what go, I would do. you know, I just go buy a Lacroix and stick some vodka in it or something if you really want to get drunk on a seltzer. It's true. Yeah, it's true. That's basically what you're what they are. So, all right. Uh, so um, we'll see. We'll see what happens with seltzers. Um, you know, I don't care. People should drink what they want to drink, but I just don't think this is going to last because there's real no there there. Yes, that's that's uh, that's my thinking. But up until now, we've seen deceleration in the growth of seltzers, mm -hmm. and people have been trumpeting that as a kind of watershed and i keep thinking man if, if you're growing you're growing it's true you, you know you're, everything has to slow down eventually just by because of algorithms and math uh but you know if you're growing it's great but this is the first time when we've actually seen it go into reverse so that it, it is a noteworthy moment yeah yeah and even the the decline in the growth rates have been pretty dramatic but that's yeah. partly due to the fact that the growth rates were bonkers for a while that's right they really were and and it got so big that you can't have triple digit growth on you know what what is a at this point huge market it's just 
that just means growing at a crazy, you know, in absolute numbers, a crazy volume. So eventually yeah. you have to start slowing down just. Yeah, we'll just see. I kind of, you know, I kind of think about them as sort of party drinks where if you just goal to get drunk and not get fat, that, okay, I kind of get it. But I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time imagining there are, peop- there are things that people are going to keep in their fridge, you know, after, you know, after work, having a nice sit down and enjoy a nice beverage. No. You're not enjoying a nice white claw. Come on. <laughs> Be serious, people. All right. <laughs> We've exposed our biases. So, uh, and I'm a little scared because uh, the next, on our script, the next thing says main topic, and it says, and I quote, let's hope Patrick has something clever to say. <laughs> oh my well. goodness. And, and so here we go with the big disclaimer, which is that nobody has the answer, answer, answer to what's going on in the labor market because it's all goofy, crazy nuts but i can tell you some stuff but the, fa- the fact that nobody knows is why we're asking you because nobody knows i wouldn't ask you if i knew i have to ask you because <laughs> i don't know well i can give you some ideas so about should, what's going on should we back up and explain uh can you give us an overview of what's happening what we're talking about uh in terms of um businesses having a hard time hiring people? well yeah and so i'm gonna ca- i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, preface this with be careful about anecdotes versus data mm-hmm. because a lot of what you're seeing is these high profile in your face mcdonald's billboards that say we need people and we're willing to pay 15 bucks an hour for them um it's not happening as much in other segments of the economy which is one of the first sort of messages that i'll come that i'll talk about when we get there so um a lot of this is being driven by headlines right this kind of stuff you see that there is that that these specific types particularly in hospitality leisure so restaurants and things like that are having a hard time filling positions and what kinds of positions are these these are low paid positions these are positions that don't often provide good benefits these are positions that often are in high contact with the public and so you've got the whole COVID stuff and so we'll talk about sort of the different stuff that's going on another thing that uh people have debated a lot is how much the sort of extension and and increase in unemployment benefits um has driven people out of the labor market so we'll discuss what the evidence yeah suggests there. i i think that's that one, one reason it's nice that we're talking about this now and instead of a couple of months ago when it was also a problem is we actually have some data now to talk a little bit about that yeah and now people are starting to freak out because those those extra unemployment benefits for the states that still give them (laughs) are about to run out right and so the i know that the um, biden administration is wrangling with whether that's going to have a big fallout or not uh so i think this is the kind of stuff you're saying and i'm just gonna because i'll might forget uh but there was a cute story that was picked up nationally i think in um uh, boy, what news outlet did I see it? I don't remember now. But there was a, 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 a McDonald's, I think, in, in Ashland or Medford, Southern Oregon, that was saying, hey, if you're 14 or 15 years old, we'll we'll hire you. <laughs> Come, you can work for us. You get 15 bucks an hour or something. Uh, which, as a child labor economist or an economist that studies primarily child labor, yeah. uh, I would just like to suggest that if you're a family considering sending your 14-year-old to work at a McDonald's, uh, during the school year, I think you should reconsider. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's good evidence from other countries, Brazil primarily, uh, evidence that I, in fact, have uncovered that it really interferes with schooling. Right. Um, Which, in a, in a lifetime, the short-term gain of working between your 14 and 
yeah. 17 or something and losing that educational advantage yeah. is probably pretty So profound. it's probably true that if it's just a few hours a week, it's not a big deal. But if you're talking about, you know, picking up a 20 hour a week shift at McDonald's and you're 14 years old in eighth grade, don't right. do it. Don't yeah. do it. Don't do it, folks. It's not yeah. worth it. Uh, okay, so so that's my little aside because I, I felt like uh, we're getting a little crazy now when we're trying to fill these jobs. Uh, okay, so the so the uh, there's a number of messages here, and I'll just let you jump in with questions. But the first thing I wanted to talk about was how much is there really a big labor shortage in in the United States? And the answer is it's really not that much. Uh, it's really confined to specific sectors and mostly in, in what we call leisure and hospitality. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, these are jobs that don't pay very well. They offer few or no benefits uh, and they tend to be high risk for COVID and not just high risk for COVID, but all of the crap that comes with dealing with people in COVID these days, mm -hmm. uh, whether you're enforcing a mask mandate or, you know, uh, asking for uh, proof of vaccination and you hear the stories all the time. So, um, uh, that creates a big um, disincentive to work. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm picking my words carefully because I don't want to just, I have my categories here and I have my little bullet points. I'm trying to get to them, and get to them in order. But that, that, that's the first thing I wanted to mention is, is that um, it's not like there's an overall labor shortage. And by the way, as we record just this morning, the new jobs report came out and it was um, interesting because it was a huge contraction in sort of the hiring that's been going on yeah and we're, we're recording this uh on the third of september or something like that yeah, so yeah. yeah friday september 3rd and so this morning the jobs report came out it was like two hundred and ninety thousand or something that was for august uh yeah and it was uh so for august or just last week yeah uh no for august i believe you know, now you're making me down with anyway <laughs> <laughs> the latest one came out it was much, much, much lower than we expected, and that suggests that the Delta variant is having a big impact. Things, right. people, things are starting to contract really quickly um, as we're being walloped by Delta. Uh, so the supply-demand imbalance is also, you know, constantly in flux. And, and I guess the bigger picture thing to keep in mind is that uh, this is pretty unprecedented, where we purposely shut down sectors of the economy or constrain sectors of the economy because of a public health crisis. And uh, sort of how the economy responds and how these markets respond is um, uh, not well understood from past experience because there isn't so many past experiences. And, and it's also true that if you know if you shut down a restaurant and your wait staff has to uh, you lay off your wait staff, then they can also find other ways to, uh, to, uh, to gain employment. And so there are people that might have switched sectors as well. Yeah. And I, I've only got anic data my damn self, but, uh, but when I talk to people at breweries, uh, they often will say, this has been an opportunity for people who have looked, who have been thinking about making a, ch an in a change in industry anyway, uh, to get out. And a lot of, uh, a lot of the brewers, uh, are actually happy for their workers because they're finally pursuing that dream they wanted to pursue. And this is a good opportunity to shift yeah. out of the, the industry. Absolutely. And there's a lot of friction and a lot of inertia, for lack of a better word. That's not an economics term. But, well, there is economics term inertia. But uh, I'm talking about individuals who, um, who are in a job and they might not like it or might think about doing something else. But it's hard to make that switch. It's scary. It's it's it requires a time and effort. You probably undergo a spell of not making money and things like that. And so sometimes these these um, external shocks create the incentive or the or the opportunity 
to make those to make those changes. Yeah. But then again, you can ask, well, why don't people fill in uh, 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 those spots? But uh, remember that until this uh, crisis, we had a, a historically low unemployment rate, <laughs> and so there is this overall. Um, uh, sort of balance in the labor market that suggests that you know uh, laborers are scarce in general. Okay, so I want to talk about unemployment benefits for a second because that's the first thing. It's like, well, we've been offering all these extended unemployment benefits, extra unemployment benefits, and that creates a disincentive to work. Right. People are uh, uh, able to make almost as much money staying at home as going to work, so why would they go to work? Yeah. And uh, what I'll say without going into great detail is that we can now study this using data and the data suggests that this effect is actually quite minimal and one of the nice little natural experiment uh, uh, pieces of data we have is that some states uh, have extended the unemployment benefits and some of them haven't and so the the unemployment benefits you get depends on the state in which you work or we're working <clears throat> and the fact that some states that states did had different uh, approaches creates this opportunity to study the differences across states. Right. And so, yes, uh, these natural, things. Natural experiments are the best, aren't they? There we go. Natural experiments. They're not the best. They're not the best. <laughs> They're handy, clinical, though. Clinical trials are the best. The randomized control trials are the very best, but uh, but they're pretty handy. Yeah. And they give us a good sort of uh, back of the envelope, for lack of a better term, notion about uh, uh, what these impacts are. And the, the economists that have studied them find them to be pretty small. They're not. They're not zero, so they do have an impact, and they do create this opportunity. And in fact, um, perhaps that's exactly what we want. They create this opportunity for families not to have to make the, the next category to get into, but not have to make that choice for, uh, about working versus like taking care of their kids, right? So, uh, uh, so this is a factor, but um, not a lot of the of the uh, dearth in in employment in these sectors can be explained entirely by unemployment insurance actually quite small so in yeah. these states that discontinued unemployment insurance early mm -hmm. uh their labor markets uh so and the, the big theory was now people aren't getting these great uh benefits so they'll be driven back into the workplace right uh, and what we found is that that did not happen is that and, uh not not a lot not no. a lot not very, to the, very, not small, the extent very that, small impacts yeah. yeah gotcha exactly Okay, so the next uh, thing I want to, and by the way, jump in here and uh, and tell me if I'm if I'm going on uh, too long or or you want more clarification. But the, the the sort of economics term of art is compensating wage differential that I want to talk about, and uh, one of the aspects of these leisure and hospitality industry jobs that are going unfilled is that, as we mentioned before, they are high COVID risk jobs often, and they they don't pay enough to compensate people for the risk. So we talk about compensating wage differential. If you take the same job and one has slightly higher risk of injury or death, and one has a slightly lower risk of injury or death, you'd expect a higher, in, a higher salary being offered for the one that... Um, that represents more risk. So that's, or, or uh, a job in a nice place to live versus a job in a terrible place. There are lots of things in which in which wages reflect. They don't just reflect the actual activity you do on the job, but other ancillary benefits you get with the job or aspects. And so uh, people that are trying to hire the same wait staff for the same salary they paid before are finding that those people aren't coming back. 
And part of that's because the job has changed. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with nasty people. You have to deal with, a, with an unseen virus that can be uh, um, uh, very dangerous. And um, these risks are uh, expensive. So I looked up and um, and don't uh, uh, please don't quote me in <laughs> in terms of uh, uh, serious research, but. Um, uh, I found what I thought were pretty reasonable estimates um, from reputable sources that suggest that uh, the average cost of hospitalization due to COVID in the United States is fifty to eighty thousand dollars without insurance, and about half of that if you have sort of average insurance. Mm. And so, a lot of these jobs don't provide good benefits. Maybe insurance, maybe not. If insurance, it's probably minimal insurance. And so, you're going to work for ten dollars an hour, fifteen dollars an hour and undergo the risk that you get COVID, and it's a small risk, but it's not negligible, that you may end up in the hospital, and if so, that could wipe you out, mm-hmm. essentially, right? right? So these are real risks, and people, right. and people take into these count risks. In fact, people tend to overestimate risk. Mm-hmm. Right. We know this from psychology, and so the, the psychological cost of taking these jobs is a lot. Mm-hmm. And so people are dissuaded from being in these jobs. And then for me, I think that almost worse is, is the attitude that some customers have um, towards these things. That's, I've encountered that in lots of places, even in Portland, Oregon, which is a pretty high compliance place. Right. People, people are pretty, but uh, I've encountered a number of people complaining about this or that and the other thing. And very patient staff trying to explain <laughs> what the policies are and how they're being implemented. Yeah, we had a, uh, I could just insert a little anecdote here uh we there's a brewery called the threshold out in montevilla mm-hmm. and they they experimented with a vax mandate and it was really they just took incredible amounts of heat uh most of that was online um as you know trolls across social right. media and on their websites and yeah. on rating sites hit them but also a little bit you know that that lands if there is blowback, it lands exactly not on the, the owners who make the decision, but the, the front workers who are there. In this yeah. case, it's the same people. They're small, <laughs> small <laughs> outfits. So, uh, but they, 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 you know, they, they were really shocked in Portland, where a number of people are vaccinated, and I think you know, overwhelmingly, the, the attitude here is pro-vax. Uh, yeah. Even still, being the one, the odd, the odd man out, they really took a lot. Well, of there is this, uh, yeah, there's this kind of. Um, I don't know, wolf pack aspect to social media and stuff, right? That yeah. like when one person decides they're angry about one business and they just sort of stir up the pack and everybody starts coming and attacking. Yeah, it's really, it's really sad. I'll also just say that this compensating wage differential is, uh, um, is a factor just in the fact that the job itself has changed a bit. Like mm-hmm. you're probably wearing a mask now. Right. You probably have fewer covers than you normally would have. So you're not making quite as much money. As we talked about, you've got to deal with unruly customers. And then there might also be, um, and people can confirm or deny this, but there might also be this sort of uh, uh, unfortunate cycle where because there's few workers, you're being asked to do more um, than you were before. Uh, so the job has changed itself and you're yeah. asked to take on more responsibility because there's just not enough people, but you're not being paid more. Uh, okay, well, uh, I'm getting thirsty, so I'm going to take a break because there's a lot of fresh hot beer in front of me. Indeed. And so the next one I picked up, and by the way, speaking, oh, I'll talk about this in a second, but 
um, one of the aspects, I guess I won't talk about it in a second, I'll talk about it now. <laughs> one of the aspects of, <laughs> of COVID, which has been interesting, is uh, this sort of uh, uh, tipping, tipping creep that has happened. And what I mean is that a lot of places shifted into takeout orders, uh-huh. but their tip, they've tried to sort of ta- uh, tack on their tipping stuff. And I think a lot of us, myself included, feel pretty generous because these people are you know, it's tough for these businesses, especially at the beginning of COVID. And so I would add on a generous tip, even though if it was just a takeout right. versus, well, this was a new one for me. I went to the little beer store and I took my six cans of beers up to the cash register and they just deep, 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 scan them. And then when I put my credit card in, they asked if I wanted to tip 15%. <laughs> wow. And I said to the guy, I said, you know, I appreciate you, man, but this is getting a little bit out of control. It's like, uh, which is going to be something I'm going to talk about at the end, which yeah. is at some point you got to bite the bullet and just pay your staff more. Well, that's what I want to get to as well. Yeah. I, I, there's a, there's a interesting nuance yeah. there. We'll too. get there, but yeah. this is just kind of performance art in a way that you're trying to pay your staff more, but but not just like raising prices. Right. So you're kind of trying to play this game where, oh, consumers, we need to take care of our staff. and. Well, yeah, do it. Take care of your staff. Raise your prices. <laughs> That's right. But this kind of weird, weird. Uh, so, I guess as an economist, I got to think about the efficiency aspect because there's going to be some people who tip a lot, uh-huh. probably who have more ability to tip, and some people won't because they're very income constrained. So maybe this is a more efficient outcome. But I find it funny. All right. So what we have now is um, Hopworks. They're abominable ale. They call it abominable ale. They just call it mm-hmm. abominable now. Yeah. Which has been one of my long favorites. And they have a fresh hop version of their Abominable. I'm going to see if I can read the can. I'm going to put my glasses on, though, to do so. Oh, and there's nothing on the can. So there you go. There you go. That's what it is. I don't know what the fresh hop is. I don't know anything about it. Uh, this is a good chance to say to brewers and beer companies, it's nice to have just a little bit of info. It's true, especially on fresh hop beers. The thing is, uh, oh no, it says fresh hop right there. They could, I guess the thing is they don't always know, a brewery doesn't always know exactly what fresh hops are going to be available. Before they print the can. Yeah, yeah so, you yeah. know, they may want to be doing uh, uh, centennials and then yeah. they set up the production schedule and then on the day they do it. Uh, no, we've got no centennials, we're going to do cascades. Like, yeah. well, that'll work. Fair uh, point, fair point. So. I, I take that. Absolutely. Uh, this is a good moment to, to mention that Hopworks Urban Brewery is a sponsor of X-Ray FM. That's un- an underwriter. Underwriter. Was that the word? Of, Which I don't know what the mean. Yeah, I don't that, know what the that, difference that, is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we were only just made aware of this. Uh, uh, X-Ray FM has gone, undergone a lot of changes and communication has been spotty. But we found out about this and we just want to take a moment since we're a beer show. That's right. Talk about Hopworks Urban Brewery underwriting X-Ray FM and say thanks. Yeah. And if we had known, we would have mentioned it before. Um, and uh, yeah. And now we know. Yeah. yeah so now we know. And now we're trying your beer. You're supporting community radio and we really appreciate that. Mm. Ah, well, this one is fresh hop. Yeah, this one's Oh, uh, yeah. This is one. Of, this is an old school kind of like a red IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, it's made with, uh, it's it's very old school. So it's, yeah. It's very it's, bitter. It's and very, very bitter. Yeah, I like Abominable. It's it's in the winter. I particularly like mm-hmm. it because that bitter piney really hits hits just right. And I think they have a winter version of Abominable too. Yeah, I think it used to be a winter ale, and then it became year round. Yeah, I can't exactly. I can't figure out the 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 the, um, the evolution of Abominable. But this has that fresh hop. Like the moment I held it up to my face and started drinking, that it hit my nose. That. Yeah. So the fresh hop quality is a kind of green mm-hmm. thing, a chlorophyll kind of thing. Um, yeah, and 
there I think that there's a the presentation of the oils in the beer is different with fresh hops than non-fresh hops and I haven't been able to uh, and, and it may not actually be measurable but that's the there's a quality of kind of like uh, essential oil in yeah. this beer that I really like as well yeah that that yeah for lack of a better term that chlorophyll note that hits your nose hits your your um, uh, what is it retronasal and pro- or orthonasal orthonasal uh, uh, senses I it's like that hallmark of at least it used to be the hallmark of fresh hops for me mm-hmm. <laughs> totally yeah I think it still is and you know breweries now have dialed in how to do this for the most part yeah and so uh, it's it's evanescent and even if you do it properly it's not going to last forever uh, so mm. you know, when, when, you, when you buy these you're always it's always a bit of a crapshoot but uh, yeah at this point, these have got to have been made quite recently because it's so early in the season. It's September 3rd or whatever, so it's these beers just haven't been available very long. So we know that these are not old cans. Yeah. Yeah. The beer store has a special – the beer store I went to has a special uh, cooler just for the fresh hops. Ah, that's a clever move. It is. It was nice because I was looking all around, and I asked the guy, like, do you have any fresh hops in these? Oh yeah, let me show you. <laughs> and <laughs> nice. so there are about uh, I don't know maybe twenty different breweries with fresh hop beers in that cooler. Wow, it's pretty sweet. They're coming on. So they're coming on fast, but I think they're all pretty, uh, pretty young. I really enjoy this because I kind of like I, I like the abominable anyway because it's sort of old school, spicy, piney IPA, and then uh, yeah, and then it really hits you with a fresh hop. So yeah, last year I was able to uh, not judge but evaluate. Uh, a bunch of fresh hop beers uh, with a group headed up by uh, Ezra Johnson Greeno, who has been on the show before. Uh, he has the school uh, website in town, and we he he had a few tastings, and we would go over and work through them all. And um, one thing that's interesting that I noticed, and we have we have some, uh, I think we have a hazy in here. Uh, it seems like the fresh hops do better in the older school kind of brewing technique than the hazy technique. So we'll see if that's really true here or not. But that was kind of by my memory. I was right. impressed with the the ones that were made uh, with, you know, more of a West Coast approach. Yeah, I was trying to, when I picked these beers, I was trying to get a little uh, a range of, of types. So I, I knew the Abominable sort of an old school IPA, and I knew the October Fresh was a was a lager. And so, right. Yeah, trying to, so I got a, I have a, uh, a fresh hop hazy i've got uh sort of a standard ipa and yeah, we'll see what we get to cool but let's get back to economics indeed, indeed. because it's getting boring talking about beer what you really <laughs> about is economics. yeah all right so that was kind of under the category of compensating wage differential so you're basically a lot of these businesses are offering the same working conditions they had before at the same uh, sorry not the same working the same job they had before at the same uh, wage, but working conditions have changed a lot, and so the wage is going to have to reflect those new realities. That's one message. The second big thing uh, is opportunity cost, and opportunity cost is uh, what you're giving up in order to go to work, and that's changed a lot as well. So the obvious big one in the past has been that school was sent remote and not in person. Mm-hmm. So a lot of families who would have essentially 
childcare for their kids by sending them to school every day no longer had that. And they were at home and they were on computers. And, you know, that, uh, as a parent, I can tell you that often doesn't go well unsupervised. <laughs> and so there was a, so that changes the opportunity cost. The opportunity cost of going to work now is much, much higher. It's also true of people. Uh, people with younger kids who have kids in childcare because uh, childcare centers closed. Childcare centers had staffing problems as well. The cost of running a childcare center went way up, so the cost of childcare itself went way up because of all the new sanitation and other rules. And so, uh, uh, childcare center costs. And I got a piece of data, and I forgot to scribble it in here um, that talked about the the increase in costs in childcare, but it's gone up a lot. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and so childcare is hard to find and it's very expensive if you can find it. And so that is another big increase in uh, the cost of going to school. So there's a, um, and then uh, this is not data driven, but I'll, but I'll just mention it. There's a lot of the work that goes on. I know this from uh, studies about uh, min uh, uh, minimum wages and whether minimum wages is a good way to target low-income households. And it turns out that minimum wages isn't a great way to target low-income households. And the, in, and the reason for that is that a lot of people who work for minimum wages, and so again, I'm talking about these kind of jobs that are at or near minimum wage, uh, are staffed by uh, things like, you know, teenagers from um, middle uh, middle-class households or uh, second-income spouses and things like that. So if you raise the minimum wage, it's estimated to be somewhere around 30%, I'm going by memory here, 30-35% of those people who would be affected by an increase in minimum wage are actually people who are from low-income households or at or near the poverty level. Mm -hmm. And so that makes opportunity costs a lot, in this case, a lot different. Um, I'll try, <laughs> hopefully I'm explaining this well. But in other words, the people that are staffing these jobs, these waitstaff jobs, these keg fuller jobs and things like that, uh, might not really need to work in order to survive. In other words, the, there's a bit of flexibility there. And if the opportunity cost becomes too high to work, then they can withdraw themselves from the labor market uh, fairly easily, uh, as opposed to people who just you know have to have the income in order to survive. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. Sure. Yep. So a lot of these jobs, it turns out, I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating here, but based on that information, I'm guessing that a lot of these jobs are staffed by people who don't necessarily have to work or have to work the extent they did. Um, and can pull back entirely or in part. Yeah, and uh, I want to talk to you about the, the different minimum wages around the country and how that affects things, and maybe you're going to get to that, but uh, if not, it would now be a good time to talk about that. Uh, I, I think it's a, a reasonable time to talk about it. There's been a, a lot of, um, I think what you're referring to is the idea that if we raise the minimum wage, um, uh, we're going to have these big impacts in unemployment. Um, so uh, businesses won't be able to f hire people at these at these higher minimum wages. They'll pull they'll pull back on staffing, and people won't have jobs. And what we found in in the in the research, and this is decades old research, this is one of the big questions, is that those impacts are um, there but not that great. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about that, but I was also thinking of the framing uh, just in terms of states have different in, uh, yes. minimum wages. And yeah. so we're already having, you know, you, you, it, federal minimum wage is like seven something. It's still, yeah, it's still, yeah. 
seven, I can't remember now, 710, 735? Right, so in Oregon, we're, in Portland, we're nearly double that. I think it's $14 an hour in Yeah, Portland and we're now. moving towards 15. Yeah. yeah, and we're moving towards 15. So that, that seems like that should tell us something. And by the way, Oregon is one of those states that don't uh, allow you to discount for tips. So if you have a waiter, uh, you have to pay them 15 bucks an hour. Well, 14 bucks an hour now, right, but we'll have right. to pay them 15 bucks an hour uh, on the top and then tips on top of that. So, uh, yeah. So um, and, and somehow we have restaurants and breweries and uh, actually even relatively cheap food here and relatively cheap beer compared to other states. So apparently it's possible for, 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 for people to be paid that amount of money and still... Uh, it's possible. Yeah, uh, it's possible. I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit. I don't think we have relatively cheap food. Like um, if, you go to a, if you go to a pub here versus a pub and I don't know what is a low wage state. Let's just say, I don't know what Wisconsin is, but since... You and I both live in Wisconsin. We'll talk about Wisconsin. <laughs> like uh, I would imagine that you know, uh, uh, if it's a low lower wage state, the you know the your pub burger is going to be maybe a buck or two less expensive. Um, but but I would frame that differently. I would say yeah, that the, that's kind of the social contract, right? Like right. Um, uh, if we want to offer people minimum wage, uh, you know, living wages, then we need to be prepared to pay, you know, whatever it is now, 14 bucks for a burger or something like that, right? And so I'm okay paying that because I think I look at my waiter and think, okay, that person's probably able to live and work in Portland and not starve, you know? Yeah, I don't, I, I actually don't know that much about uh, food prices, but our beer prices are quite competitive. Yeah. Uh, so if you're working in a tap room, in Portland, you're making a lot more money than if we're in a tap room in, let's say, Wisconsin, even though we have no idea. Uh, <laughs> and, and yet, you know, I bet the beer prices are pretty close to comparable. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, okay, so the third, the third category is just uh, what I call friction, and friction just uh, refers to the fact that. Uh, hiring people is a slow and messy process and changing jobs is a slow and messy process and in the best of times there's always this friction and you might the best example of this is you might say hey we have five percent unemployment rate and that's essentially full employment in the united states and you think well wait a minute that's not full employment that's five percent unemployed and that's because of these frictions it takes time like people are always switching jobs and are in and out of jobs and uh and so these frictions represent a fairly significant percentage and if you think about what happened with covid is that we were forced into a lot of these forced layoffs and we talked about this before uh and people sort of suddenly being out of a job and thinking what am i going to do next and so there's this process of people who are you know either laid off or, or lost their job due to the pandemic or people who were just sort of waiting for their restaurant to reopen and um, this kind of churn in the normal market happens and it makes the process slow, but it's even more so now. And so part of what we're seeing right now, I think, is this kind of natural churn process that's just um, sort of exploded because of these forced closures and forced layoffs and uh, changes in business practices. And so um, part of this uh, uh, labor shortage in these sectors is almost predictable just because of that natural process, if that, right. makes, if that makes sense. And we talked about earlier yeah. too about people who are now thinking, well, maybe I want to do something different, or maybe I'll go back to school, or maybe you know. Uh, and so that all just sort of exacerbates what I would call kind of a natural friction in the labor in the labor market. I have a question uh, about which you may not be able to uh, give me numbers for, but 
maybe you can reflect on it. One thing that we're noticing in COVID is that uh, in the service industry, people have had to do deliver services differently than they did uh, before COVID. Yeah. So for uh, example, at many restaurants, you can order from the table right. uh, without having to have somebody come over and take your order, Yep. Uh, which means that the I assume that that restaurant doesn't have to employ as many uh, staff, you know, right. as many servers. Right. And that's an efficiency that seems to work well for everyone. So is there a way in which we have an artificially high baseline that we're comparing what a full employment would look like? Because I assume this is the case in many industries where services, they, you know, they streamlined and automated stuff. Um, so is it possible that we're never going to snap back to where we were before? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in a crisis, uh, per- creates these incentives to figure out new ways to automate in ways in which you might have been worried that customers wouldn't accept before. Right. Right. So ordering my own food at my table, customers like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> what am I coming to a restaurant for then? Yeah. Uh, and now I think this is the kind of thing that customers are going to accept in the future. I, I deliberately avoided saying going forward because bugs me. You have you have weird preferences about phrases. I try to avoid the word the phrase deep dive because I know it, it really rankles. <laughs> deep dive. All these I I just have this I have a I have a, a an aversion to these like latest catchphrases or little things, especially businessy things. Yeah. Well, uh, but I use them all the time. <laughs> and I hate myself for it. So that's why I say. So in the future, I think that you're going to see more of these things last. I think so too, and it's interesting how uh, even the customers don't necessarily know, and it's a real pain in the ass when you have to go on and fill out a new thing and add your all your information. But once it's in your phone, then it becomes super handy, and you don't have to sit there and wait like a dope for a half an hour for a server to get free to come over. You you know, boom, it's in the kitchen. Yeah. So just, well, you and I cool. had this experience because we went to a Portland Timbers game a few months ago with a friend, and we all were at Deschutes Brewery, uh-huh. and in the end, you can just pay using the app on your phone and it's uh, quick and easy. And then we have a Luddite friend who couldn't figure that technology out. <laughs> right. And so that's a perfect example of something that's just, it seems like super convenient. You know, you just tap a button and suddenly your check's paid and it's all good. There's no like grabbing your, uh, and we're, we're, we're way behind the world. Like every other country in the world, they bring the little payment machine to you. And- no, those are really common now too. And you stick your and you stick your thing in. Well, that's what I'm going to say, which yeah. is that this crisis has now forced us to sort of uh, rethink the way in which business is done, and I think in ways that will never go back to uh, to the way before. So I I I wouldn't be surprised to see lots of businesses sort of stick with the, these new innovations. And that's going to affect how many staff they have. To and it's going to affect how many staff they have to. Uh, and then, so how do you think about that? Well, there's one interpretation is, oh, this is terrible because these are jobs that are lost. I always hate that interpretation. This is the same thing that people will say when they ask, why don't we get rid of this prohibition on self-service gas in Oregon, right? Yeah. Because, oh, because there's like 7,000 people who are employed in Oregon as gas pumpers. Uh, but anyway, the good the good part of that is it's a way for businesses to keep costs down. It's another another thing that irritates yeah, you. We, we can get off on this if you want. I've got about an hour. I can fill an hour full of self service gas in Oregon. Why can't we pump our own gas? I, I took a trip to Washington recently, and I drove up to uh, a, a service station in Bellingham, and I sat there for a good thirty seconds, and then I realized, oh yeah, no one's going to come help me. I got to pump my own gas. <laughs> well, first off, whenever I go across the river to Vancouver, I always buy gas just on purpose because 
I really find it liberating actually being able to pump my own gas. <laughs> but I had this same experience during the heat dome. I don't remember. During the heat dome, they had a special uh, uh, cessation of the prohibition on. And I drove up to a Fred Meyer gas and I sat there and I was kind of looking around. I was like, where is everybody? They're like all the staff. And then I realized that there were signs on the pumps that said, due to the heat dome, you were pumping your own gas. And it was like, it was like Christmas and New Year's. You wanted to just and, drive around and drain the tank oh, and do it all exactly. over again? <laughs> I got to pump my own gas in the state of Oregon. It happened once before, which was during the beginning of the COVID crisis when uh, they were all, you know, no one knew what was going on. And, they did the same thing, but we're way off topic. Uh, wait a minute, my computer screen has blacked out. So well, now while I you're go doing out. that, I'm going to grab one of these. Beers, yeah, you got to decide the next one. So we have an IPA, Let's we have a hazy. hazy IPA, and we have this thing too. You want to do it? Should we do a hazy? Just to kind of. Yeah, actually, I don't. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last hazy fresh hop IPA I've had. Fresh hop American Pale Ale. So that's probably right, not. Are you doing that? I'll just say the last. The last. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to draw a draw a, uh, a line into this discussion and say that it all comes down to, to wages, right? It all comes down to pay. There's an equilibrium in every market. And if you need people and they're not showing up, it's because you're not paying enough. Right. And that's, that's I clear. And what's, I think what's really going on is that businesses are trying to go back to business as usual and business is not usual. Things have changed. The labor market has changed. Job conditions have changed. Everything has changed. And you're still trying to hire the same people at the same price that you did before. And actually, we can go back to that sort of tipping example, which is like a lot of these places. I went to a nice restaurant, one of my favorite restaurants in Portland. I'll just, I'll just uh, give it a shout out. Nostrana, uh, Italian restaurant, it's fantastic. They were very proud of the fact that they're no longer doing tips. They're doing a 20% universal service charge to support their workers. Which is kind of another way of basically saying we're going to raise the pay because conditions have changed and we're just going to do it in this sort of performative art way, <laughs> which I don't mind. Uh, uh, I'd rather you just raise your prices and pay your workers, but I get it. And that's kind of, I think, an, an expression of the new reality. I, you know, I've spoken to a couple of breweries that are also doing something different on that score, which is uh, they're kind of mandating that uh, the front of house Here we go. tip uh, or share their tips with the back of house. So uh, the, they're, they're splitting them in half, yeah. uh, which is... Well, all good businesses should have been doing that from the beginning. Yeah, so, it, it, you know, there's there's a whole what? bunch of... You, we what get, the... I know, it's not very hazy, is it's it? Not, it's not even very hazy. It's not hazy at all. <laughs> there's no hit. What? But right. if you smell it... I mean, it's probably a good beer, but it just this is not hazy. It's No, it's not very hazy. I so agree. I'm going to call them out. Even though it's probably great, this is one of our one of our local faves. Level beer. This is their fresh hop hazy IPA, and then below they call it a foggy ale. So oh, maybe foggy. that's maybe that's uh, like, a week. But, but they missed the mark on the haze. I really think they intended it to be more because this is very slightly cloudy. It's true. But if you smell it, it smells pretty Maybe it's intense. fog. No, that's not fog. That's not even close to fog. <laughs> this has been uh, Patrick's Dyspepsia with the World episode. <laughs> it's only going to get worse. I know. I'm 52, Jeff. Imagine me at 60. I know. And you're almost 53. You've got no, a, no, couple of, a couple no, of weeks not. left. What is it? Ooh, that's a like lovely that. beer. It is a lovely beer. It's a really lovely beer. Just don't expect my haze. God. That is super intense fresh hop. Fresh hop, yeah. That's way intense fresh yeah, hop. That's really good. That's a boomer. Mm. 
So this is level. What's the? Is it just? It just says fresh hop hazy. Fresh hop hazy. Fresh hop. Maybe the hazy is not meant to be literal, but kind of like metaphoric. You know, hazy in the sense of makes you feel hazy. Yeah, and and to your point, by the way, uh, this says we put a ton of fresh picked Willamette Valley hops. So uh-huh. obviously, when they when they did the label, they weren't exactly sure what they're putting in here. Yeah. So I think you're right about that. Yeah. I think there are some places I mean. that know this. Yeah. Have other we, places. we we can to mention the other ones. We have uh, Little Beast, which yeah, we're not. Get to them. Yeah. We're not going to taste these to, uh, now, but uh, maybe, we next, will, maybe next show we'll see. We'll, we'll taste them. We will definitely taste them. Little Beast Green Keeper, which does actually say on the back. Uh, it is made with uh, fresh centennial hops. So that those are centennials. Yeah, and then the other one is Crux Brewing from Bend, Pert Near Mackenzie Fresh Hop IPA, and this is fresh hopped with Mackenzie hops, which are brand new hop developed by the West Coast Hop Breeding, exclusive God. to Willamette Valley. What? What? There's a new fresh hop. Oh the, man, this is big news. We got a. Maybe we have to do a show on Mackenzie hops. A brand new hop. As this dark varietal brings jammy berry notes to the party alongside big tropical flavors and floral aromas. We'll uh, we'll get back to you on what that's like. That's super cool. Mackenzie is, of course, the name of a, of a famous river, a river in, yeah. in uh, Oregon. So they're they're going with the same uh, nomenclature that gave us Mount Hood and Willamette that's uh, right. and Chinook. Uh, and Eugene, Oregon is where the Mackenzie joins. That's Willamette. right. Yeah, that's right. So, so very cool. Even though they're in bed, but <laughs> anyway, just a little, a little geography <laughs> lesson there. How are we doing on time, Jeff? I know, I know, our fans love our incredibly uh, narrow focus on Oregon, since uh, almost no one lives here. But uh, okay, all right. It, it well, is far since away you again. mentioned, I was going to put this off, but since you mentioned it, because we're getting long already, but because you mentioned it, I was going to do a little beeronomics offshoot, and this is just kind of a almost a rhetorical question, right? But. I was thinking about climate change, mm-hmm. and this year, above all years, I think, is the moment which everyone should realize that climate change is smacking you in the face. And Boy, I don't know who could maintain yeah. uh, a disbelief in it. I mean, I would, of course, it would be absolutely fantastic if it didn't exist. It gives me, it haunts my dreams. Yeah, so, so let's talk about how to address climate change if you're a craft beer drinker. And this is, as I said, a rhetorical question because I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. So uh, beer is uses a lot of heat, a lot of energy to create beer, and it's also big and heavy and expensive to uh, and hard to transport. Mm-hmm. So as an, a good environmentalist, is your local small brewery the best where you just go and get beer at or close to the source, right? So you do away with transportation, all those relevant costs. But on the other hand, just pure physics, and this is not, a sla- this is not slagging off small brewers, but just pure physics suggests that big breweries are much more efficient than small breweries. So uh, this is just kind of a, a, a question I'll put out there to the hive mind and see what people think. Is it better to, as an environmentalist to stay local and uh, uh, patronize your local small brewery, or is it better to patronize big breweries that are efficient? Yeah, it's interesting. And we'll, this is, and I'm going to actually do an article a month or two from now where I'm going to look into, I want to go do a, a deep dive into uh, the impact of, of uh, global warming and how brewers will need to mitigate uh, some of the biggest challenges in order to survive as an industry. Because one thing that you, you didn't mention, which is a huge issue, is the, the uh, impact of of uh, 
global warming on agronomy. So mm-hmm. what, what it does to the malt and hops and where those come from and how far they're shipped and where they're grown and absolutely a whole yeah. bunch of stuff there. And I think you got to factor that into it too, because it's not just the beer. It's not just the liquid itself that comes out of breweries. It's yeah. all the stuff that comes into the breweries beforehand. So there's, it's very complex. And I think, you know, a small brewery, probably a small brewery in the Northwest has a lower, uh, yes. carbon footprint because they're That's a very good point. Yeah. You know, they're, they're getting their, their, uh, their hops locally and much of the malt can be gotten locally. Um, and then they're not shipping it very far. So the whole thing is fairly self-contained. It's very much, you know, it's difficult to do that outside the Northwest. So it's yeah. going to, it's going to be different. But even absent that, I would, I would suspect, and I'll be proven wrong perhaps, but I would suspect that the first best is to go directly to the source and skip the packaging and have beers straight from the brewery. The brewery yeah. Has. It's, I mean, it's gotta be the case that, yeah. Putting putting beer on a truck and shipping it several states away is well, yeah. <laughs> putting putting beer into especially putting beer into a can right. and onto a truck and shipping it several states away. Yeah, yeah. So, but by the way, this is holy God. This is a smack in the face. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this, this is level really, beer is fresh. Yeah, this is really good. If you ever if if you're not from uh, Portland and you have a chance to come here and and, and you want to you want to make sure you taste fresh hops, boy, this is a good way to go. This will. Mm-hmm. It is. If you want to know what fresh hops taste like, and this by the is, way, I should mention that Level has a bunch of fresh hop beers. Yeah. Like they had, they have the fresh hop hazy, they have a fresh hop IPA, the fresh hop pale, they have a fresh hop pilsner. I think I don't know. They have a. Don't quote me, but there was a bunch of sitting there in the cooler, and I decided just for shits and giggles, I would do the fresh hop hazy, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't hazy. Uh, we we <laughs> we uh, we're just gonna have to beep that, which I like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and, that's and, not that doesn't violate Apple's terms and conditions when you say there's no explicit language. Shits and giggles. Well, I believe it. It probably violates the FCA Federal Trade. Is it one of those seven dirty words? You gotta I, well, go back I to George you, Carlin to find out. Yeah, I think you can't swear on the radio using that. But I didn't. You that's did. My point. Yeah, well, I believe you did. No, I believe I did. All of these are totally. They. <laughs> All right, let's get on. Let's finish. This words have show. no intrinsic meaning. <laughs> so, uh, yes. All right. So, uh, a couple things. Actually, one thing from the mailbag. So uh, anyway, the, the, the uh, I, the, I one really important question. I think uh, our listeners will be keen to un- to hear from you is. Do you anticipate this thing will work itself out? Yes. And, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because that's markets, right? Right. It, so eventually you're just going to have to pay more. Already you're seeing like the um, fast food restaurants, they'll build, hey, we'll pay up to $15 an hour, right? That's what it takes. That's the price, right? That's the equal, equilibrating mechanism is always price. Right. If there's a disconnect between supply and demand, then the price adjusts. It's just that... Prices are sticky. Here, there's another term of art, sticky prices. Prices tend to be very sticky, especially, I think, with small businesses. They're used to being able to pay a certain salary and attract people for their jobs. Right. And it's very hard to accept that they can't. And then, of course, they worry. And I understand absolutely. You worry that if I have to pay $2 more an hour for my staff, I have to raise my prices. And will people pay those prices? Will I be able to sell? Am I going to survive? Yeah. So that's why they're so sticky. And I totally get it. Um, but uh, and I also get the sort of the innovations. How can I economize on staff and maybe not have as many people on board by you know using these automatic payment and ordering systems and stuff like that? I think that's going to be part of it as well. So the price and these innovations, I think, will eventually sort themselves out. And it's also we're still just in the midst of a pandemic. So uh, if right. if it ever ends, <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
I know. Boy. New uh, <laughs> variant, by the way. Uh, if it ever ends, uh, uh, we'll slowly get back to equilibrium. But it's very hard to find equilibrium when there's all these frictions, when there's all these thickness, and things are still sort of evolving on the ground. So I yeah. think that's what you're seeing right now. Interesting. Well, it's... it's uh it's an interesting moment, and I, I, as an old labor guy, I have to say, I, I feel like it's exposed the way in which our economy is built, uh, at least in part, on exploiting uh, people, exploiting labor, and that's. I think one of the I'm I'm hoping again, as you know, as kind of a uh, a um, uh, left leaning economist, <laughs> I'm hoping that this exposes the gaps we have in things like our healthcare system and our childcare system, and things things that are already being addressed a little bit at the federal level, but. Uh, this is a good moment to examine the state in which we leave our people, right? Right, so. and, and and these are all choices. So we've made a choice that we yep. would like to have cheap burgers and uh, not pay any attention to what that means for the people who make the cheap burgers, and that's a choice. So we can make a different choice and have slightly more expensive burgers and, yep. and have people have more money. So I think these moments are good, these moments where we're faced with, and the same thing with climate change, these, well, okay, that's a bad choice of words perhaps i don't necessarily think these moments are good but the silver lining in these moments is that it forces people to confront the things that they'd like to ignore yeah all right i think you did an excellent job there and that was certainly uh, illuminating to me so thank you oh you're welcome uh all right so i was going to turn to the mailbag we have one mailbag entry from what's wrong hi my producer says Okay. Uh, while we were doing this, I I was I was madly tweeting to try to find out how to oh. how, how, how to find, uh, pronounce the last name of uh, our our. I see. That's what you stopped me right at the moment because I was about to give you twenty six different versions. Yes, and uh, so it's from Peter J. Uh, Kevin. Uh, let's see. Kevin, Kevin. Uh, ta- <laughs> oh, this is good, Jeff. It's you figured this one out. C A V A N. Well, I'll read what he says. Uh, take how you say Kevin and imagine a second letter as an A. Kevin. I don't know. Yeah, that's almost more mysterious. Than, I know than the name itself. <laughs> <laughs> Just call him Peter C. Uh, yeah, uh, if you go on the Birmana pod, he uh, he gives more descriptions, including uh, tracking down videos and stuff. So uh, this was actually more challenging than I anticipated. Uh, so maybe uh, Kavan? I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's it's C A V A N. Uh, Kavan, Kavan, Kavan. Uh, anyway, uh, he he just uh, oh, it's something he corrects something. You were you were talking about uh, Mr. Somebody who Michael Ash, Michael Ash, who did the nitro uh, serving system at Guinness. Yes, who who invented it? Yes, and you said that he had like twenty six firsts from Oxford or something like that. He was a a double first. He was a triple first. Triple first at Cambridge, I believe. At Cambridge, <laughs> that all right? Uh, and he just uh, and I don't know what exactly you said, but you uh, I think you were mystified by what that meant. He says a first from a UK university is impressive, but it doesn't mean the top student in the class. It's a grading system, so you can get a first, an upper second, a lower second, third, a pass. So it's like being an A student. That's right. And I actually knew that at one time, and whatever I said uh, was just me spitballing without remembering that because I remember talking to British students and. Uh, and that they really understand what this means, yep. which we don't, of course, know. So I was trying to 
plumb the depths of that. Like, so you're a smart guy. What did you get? And he's like, oh, I was like a low second or something. Like, oh, okay. So first is a big deal. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then the British expression is often to take a first or to take this or take that, which I find amusing. Yes. So thank you, Peter. Uh, thank you, Peter, for, for cleaning that up. So Michael Ash, pioneer of the nitro brewing uh, dispensing system at Guinness, was a triple first. Took a triple first at Cambridge. Cambridge. <laughs> Let no one say we're not accurate. Yeah, uh, unless uh, unless I'm misremembering that. And then, yeah, it could it's, tri- it's definitely triple first, me. but it could he could actually have gone to Oxford, but I'm pretty sure it was Cambridge. Oh my god. Okay, a few words going out. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. The Beeronomics podcasts are always the highlights. Of they are. Stream, yeah. I know you, you, you tend to think that no one will be interested because it's your area of expertise. But the, the truth I'll, t- is- I'll tell you why I think no one will be interested. Because I sit there in my classroom saying amazingly wonderful, insightful, fascinating stuff. And I look upon the faces of my students and their glassy eyes and their heads on their desks. That's because they're, they're young. Rolling, they're rolling. They're, they're, roll. they're compelled to be there. They're young. Uh, whereas our listeners come here enthusiastically. Okay because I have no self-doubt in those moments. Thirsting for knowledge. I have no self-doubt in those moments. And I say, ah, suckers, you don't know it, how good you've got it. It's true. And I just keep my plow on. It's true. You could say to them, you know, people pay incredibly good money for the podcast that I do on Beeronomics. <laughs> Wait, they do? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, some some, what, some fault here. Uh, never mind. All right. Okay, a few words going out. Please subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to jeff at beervonablog.com or on Twitter at beervonapod. Jeff still blogs, if you can believe it, at the Beervana blog, and he tweets at Beervana. And Patrick tweets at Beeronomics, and you bet your ass I still blog. Yeah, I, I have a an impressive blog which will no doubt once again fail to win the North American Guild of Beer Writers Best Blog category. Which honestly, uh, you're my friend, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's one of the great things that just irks me beyond but, imagination. I mean, that's ridiculous. Thank like you have the best beer blog ever. And, Thank you. And especially currently. And I, I mean, know. come on. Thank you. That that irks me too. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> because I'll slag you off in lots of ways, but your blog is pretty amazing. I'm like your brother. Your blog is you pretty amazing. You can slag me off, but everybody else has got to throw me throw me the respect. Yeah, well, I, I hope this year that changes. I do too. We'll see. Maybe we'll do one of those Oscars at the end, like those lifetime achievements. I know. That's I'm gonna. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm going to try to creep in there yeah. at the end. It's like, well, you've been around a long time. So hang, exactly. You'll be the last <laughs> blog left. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. There's only one left. So I use that word twice. I still haven't sworn. I know. Uh, <laughs> better give it to Jeff. All right. Uh, we have the level not so hazy, fresh hop, hazy IPA. Uh, oh, one of us does not. Pour a little more. Oh, you've been drinking too much. All right. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. Mm. Yeah, Man. But, but honestly, that's ridiculous.